Yes, um, I have some announcements for you guys. Um, first things first is that we have our vision house in Cedarway. Um, it's out in the front lobby right there, and um, it's actually happening. We're gathering supplies now, and it's happening for deliveries and pickup this Tuesday. So it's happening. And so we'll be distributing food and supplies items uh, for Cedarway Elementary as well as Vision House. And those are the two groups that we partner with. And they actually do a great work of working with families that are um, facing some food insecurity and homelessness. Um, so if you're interested in contributing some items, um, please text Vision or Cedarway to 425-406-3660. I think I added an extra six, but it's there. <laughs> yes. Okay. And you'll receive a digital link to all the items that you can uh, contribute to. And I think it's so awesome. It's really cool. So the next thing is our communication card. Is uh, We just love hearing from you and um, connecting with you. And this week is Super Bowl Sunday. So if you wanted to fill out your communication card and like write down the prediction of your score, <laughs> I mean, you could put that in there too. I mean. But yes, so fill out your communication cards. You could do the Super Bowl prediction or um, just another way to connect with us. And it doesn't have to be a Super Bowl, but I mean. Okay. You guys, does Trev not look really good in that jersey? Yeah, in the fresh haircut? Let's go. This morning's been exciting. I'm hearing Alex singing more harmony than I've ever heard coming from that guy. I mean, Brooklyn's elbowing me and going, do you hear him? I'm like, yes, I do. Let's go. What a good morning, you guys. First of all, it's sunny out today and just beautiful. Second of all, I was expecting it to be my family and that's it. I mean, it's... it's Valentine's weekend and Super Bowl and all kinds of COVID crazy stuff going on and this is this is awesome. It's really good to see you guys. So okay, today we are wrapping up this series we've been in for six weeks called Simplicity. And it is kind of staggering when you think about how many things clamor for our time and our money and our attention. And so many of us are, are, are sort of living in this constant state of feeling like we're falling short. Like we, we, can't, we can't have it all, we can't do it all, we can't be enough, and it's really overwhelming. And of course, to try to have it all and to try to do it all just leads us to a place of insanity. Uh, you kind of have to decide, right, what is really important. What is it that's most important? And then decide, you know what, I'm going to go after that. You have to organize your life around your deepest values and your deepest priorities. Because if you are not guided by some really deep priorities, you're going to be bombarded by all that you could do and, or, or should do. And, and, and you get in this spot where it's like, how do I filter through all of that? And so today, I, I want to wrestle with this feeling that we often have of, this, this kind of sent, nagging sense of, what if there's so much more? Um, 
Sometimes we live with this sense that we could do more, be more. Often we live with this sense that we're, we're missing out. Right? FOMO is real, right, James? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in COVID, a guy like, you know, FOMO is real. So, and, and, and we, this, is, this is, we have this nagging sense, like, what if there's so much more? What if I'm missing out? What if, what if th- there's a, there is the good life and I'm not living it? And, of course, there are all kinds of ways that our world encourages us to cope with feelings like that. Some people become workaholics, right? It's all about success. Some go on an endless quest for pleasure. Uh, many, for many, the strategy is to just, when that feeling comes, to numb it as much as possible. You know, it could be alcohol, could be weed, could be psychedelic mushrooms, right? But with a lot of these very common, very kind of like this worldly approaches, the, the, the feeling of emptiness is really only in the end compounded by this stuff. I mean, it, it, it can sort of take away the sting for a moment, but then we need more. We need a new fix. We need bigger success. We need a bigger pleasure. We need a better way to numb things. Uh, philosopher Blaise Pascal, brilliant French mind in the 17th century, a mathematician and physicist and philosopher and theologian and a whole bunch of other things, uh, one of the great in- intellects of his generation famously summed up what life is like with this statement. Many of you are familiar with this statement. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. And in my experience, like within myself, this could not be more true. Without the presence of God in my life, there is a hole, there is a vacuum. And, and here's, a, I'm going to give you guys a, little, a dirty little secret about being a pastor. You can learn the Bible, and you can have really sound like good theology, and you can learn leadership principles and develop social skills, and you can do ministry without God's presence. Like you can preach, and you can counsel, and you can lead board meetings, and you can pray with people, and you can read scripture with people, and you can check all the ministry boxes for long seasons and do all of it without actually experiencing the presence of God. But I I actually don't want my life to be characterized just by my own capacity. I don't want my ministry, I don't want my, my my. like parenting, I don't want my friendships, I don't want my marriage, I don't want my life to be lived like outside of God's anointing, outside of his presence, apart from his, his presence and his power at work in me. I want as much of his presence and power as I could possibly experience. And I, I, here's what I'm, I'm discovering, that it, it is actually the one thing that I cannot live without. There's a lot that I can live without, but not that. And so I, I, I want to be soaked in his presence. I want to be filled with his spirit. I, I want to be anointed in a supernatural way with his power. And so when I ask myself these days, like, what, what if there's so much more? I'm not really thinking so much about, like, nicer vacations or better amber ale, right? I'm, I'm thinking, what if, what if there's more presence? What, what if there's more power? What if I could encounter more and more of God? I would want that. And, and I'm remembering these days, like, you know what? This is the main thing. Like, this is the main thing. All else needs to take a back seat to this for me. 
And so I want to kind of think through this with you guys today. And um, as we walk through this, like as a framework, I want us to think about um, Moses. Because if, if anybody sort of had an unusual intimacy with God, it was Moses. Um, and you think about it, like his words, they carried unusual weight. And he had, he, he experienced unprecedented power. For, for example, there's an amazing scene that's described in Exodus 19. Um, this is the, the very first battle that the Israelites faced after freedom from Egypt. And so they're attacked by these people called the Amalekites. And so Moses sends Joshua to go and lead the army while Moses goes and does what? Anybody know? Yeah, he prays. So try to visualize the scene of this, because this is just epic to me. It's ridiculous, actually. So it says, uh, Exodus, uh, here we go, uh, chapter 17, verses 10 to, why was I thinking it was 19? It's 17. Here we go. See? What's what happens when you're not anointed? <laughs> so, okay. Here we go. Uh, verse 10 of whatever chapter this is. So, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. He's actually holding up the staff, the rod, like that he used to part the Red Sea and with all the plagues and all that, right? As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. That's awesome. So the Israelites, they defeat the Amalekites. But, but think about like the spiritual authority that God granted to Moses. I mean, how much, how, how much would you love that kind of power? For me, I, I like dream about it. I'm like, man, I could go to Mariners games. <laughs> right? And as long as my hands are raised, they're winning, you know? And, I, you know, as soon as I get tired, my kids and my wife are propping up my hands. You know what? I think the Mariners will give us season tickets. <laughs> but we, we look at this kind of thing. We go, well, okay, okay, but that's kind of ridiculous, right? This story with Moses is kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, this isn't, you know, that, that was cool, but... This, God doesn't still do that kind of thing. God doesn't give spiritual authority like that. He doesn't still reward those that seek him with his presence and like, like that, does he? I mean, does God still anoint people with spiritual authority? Well, when you think about it, like what is spiritual authority anyway? Well, recently I, I heard it defined like this, and I, I really like the simplicity of this. Spiritual authority is the ability to touch heaven and change earth. So does God still seek people who will touch heaven and change earth? I think he absolutely does. Can I be a person like that? Right? Can you be a person like that? You know, it's, it's embarrassingly easy for me to try to lead this church just through my own ability and gifting and competency but out of this place where I have no true intimacy with God, just like being a business-type leader. But being a business-type leader 
is very different than being like a true spiritual kind of leader. And when I look at Moses, I see him leading from a very different place than the place that I sometimes lead from, to be honest with you. And I, I want to lead more and more and more from a place of, of intimacy with God. I want to be filled with his spirit. I want to be anointed. I, I want to lead from a place of true spiritual authority. Because this, this isn't just available to an important for pastors. Right? This is available for anybody who seeks it. This is available for any Christ follower. And it is important for all. God wants to use you to touch heaven and change earth. Not just in one way, in many ways. He wants to use you to touch heaven and change earth. He wants to give you power that is beyond your capacity. And this will be important as you do whatever it is you do, whether it's ministry or in your marriage or in your parenting or as like how you approach your career. It'll be important as you face loss and disappointment and frustration and suffering in your life. But what's interesting about Moses is that this is something that actually developed in his life. This is something that he learned to experience more and more over time. Like when, you, when we first encounter Moses, he's not intimate with God. And he's not aware of the spiritual authority that God has for him. And look at, let's look at this famous encounter between Moses and God. Um, so Exodus chapter 3, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. That is not a very exciting job. He's tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. How many of you want to work for your father-in-law? How many of you want to tend sheep? Just throwing it out there. The priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a, a, a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So let's pause. Can I just point out that on this particular day, it's just business as usual for Moses. Like he wasn't on a deep quest for the presence of God. He's just out walking along and suddenly something comes along and it grabs his attention. And I think that God still does this kind of thing. Sometimes we're not exactly seeking God, but we experience a kind of burning bush moment. There's something in life that comes along and it arrests our attention. It could be a sudden loss. It could be an unusual opportunity. It could be a thought that we just can't seem to shake. It could be a conversation with somebody that we just can't seem to forget. But I, I just want to ask you to ask yourself this morning, have you experienced anything like this lately? Have you had a burning bush moment of any kind lately? I mean, what if God is trying to get your attention? I've had so many burning bush moments in my life, and many of them have, have come in seasons where life has felt really uncertain. But, but notice here, Moses is not just like, he wasn't just born like some sort of spiritual savant. He's just a dude, right? He's just a guy. He's a shepherd who is out in the desert, out in the wilderness, because he's run away from his problems. And at the beginning of his journey, it's just, it's just God capturing his attention. It starts there. 
just capturing his attention. Is anything happening in your life these days where God is grabbing your attention? If something's going on, you don't want to ignore that. Okay, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now again, if we just pause the story here for a sec, something is happening here. If I were somebody that, that like underlines in my Bible, I'm not. But, but, it, but if I were, and there's nothing wrong with that, <laughs> I, I would underline the word face. Because in, in the story of, of Moses, it turns out to be like a really critical word that comes up again and again. In, in this initial encounter, the very first time he experiences God, Moses' Moses's response to the whole thing is to hide his face. Just hide his face. Now we'll come back to that word face in a second come back to that idea of Moses hiding his face. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Wait, what? But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, again, pause here for a second. Think about the assignment of Moses. You ever think about how ridiculous this assignment is? Think about what God is asking Moses to do. Let me, let me sum it up. God calls Moses to lead a people out of a land where the people don't want them to leave into a land where people don't want them to come with a group of people who don't really want to go. I heard a pastor recently say, welcome to pastoral ministry. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I love my people. You guys, this, this is an impossible assignment. And so when God comes to Moses and says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt into the promised land, Moses, I think, very fairly says, like, what, what, whoa, who am I? Translation, I don't have what it takes. I, I, don't, I can't do that. And what we see in Moses in this initial encounter is this like lethal combo of inadequacy and shame. And inadequacy and shame together, they will kill your soul. They will kill your ability to experience God's presence. And they will destroy your capacity to experience God's power. Inadequacy and shame are so, so deadly. So when Moses first sees God, back to that idea, he hides his face. That is a posture of shame. I mean, you think about like Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned. The first thing they do is what? Hide. They hide from God. And you guys, over my years of being a pastor, I, I have, I've seen and heard so much. And, and 
One of the things that I have heard on several occasions is someone confessing, like for the first time to another human being, something really, really dark. And, and I've had people come to me and say, okay, I need help. I'm broken. Let me tell you what's been going on. And then they'll tell me what's happened. It, maybe it's a pattern of sin or some event about which they are completely ashamed. And here's the thing. I don't enjoy those conversations. Uh, it's good that people are coming into the light. Um, and I have seen tons of people find healing and find freedom in ways that are, that are like miraculous. But those are tough, tough conversations. And here's what I've noticed about the body posture of those people in those moments. When people are talking to me about this kind of stuff and they're unveiling some of their deepest shame, I have never once had somebody tell me their story and look me in the eye. They, they, they lower their heads and they look down and they shuffle their feet because that's what shame does. So Moses is adopting like the classic posture of shame. The question is like, why? Well, we know that, that Moses had committed a murder at one point, right? Like if you know his story, he, 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 when he was still in Egypt, he saw an Egyptian uh, mistreating a Hebrew one day and he had like his Popeye moment, you know what I mean? Like that's all I can stands, can't stands no more, right? And so he, 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 uh, he snaps and he kills the Egyptian guy. And that event was the catalyst for him fleeing Egypt. He, he ran for his life. And then he spent the next long season of his life in this small rural town, living in the wilderness, in the desert, as a shepherd, working for his father-in-law. And that kind of seems to be his plan for the rest of his life. So there's the shame of, hmm, I'm a murderer. And, and that's, that's tough. But I think there's a lot more than that. I, I think his shame began way before this. I mean, if you, if you know Moses' story, you go back to his, his childhood early on. He's abandoned by his parents. Now, we know that his parents were just protecting him, right? I know that. You know that. As adults, we more than understand that. But when you're five years old, you don't understand that. All you know is that your parents abandoned you and, and you can't fully understand that they did it to protect you. When you're five, you just feel unwanted. You just feel unloved. And so you have the makings of shame. On top of that, he's adopted into the royal Egyptian household. And we kind of hear that and it sounds like glorious, like rags to riches story, but think through it. Because we're told that the Egyptians would not sit down to eat with Hebrews because they detested them. So Moses grew up facing huge levels of prejudice. And, it, and if you grew up with prejudice against you, you can feel a lot of shame. So Moses is dealing with like this mountain of shame. And, and the first time he encounters God in a tangible and pers personal way, he hides his face. That's shame. And here's the problem with shame. If you, if you like do that, go ahead and do that for a second. Like put your, put your head down, cover. Like here's the, the problem with that posture. If I assume the posture of shame, like head down, the only person I can see is me. And, and I have 
this, I have this distorted view of myself, and, and what shame does is it makes it all about me. It makes it too much about me. And so one of the primary questions of shame is, like, do I have what it takes? And that's what Moses feels. You guys, we're coming out of this really weird season, and, and I sense that almost every one of us in some way in the last couple of years has felt a little inadequate. It's certainly true for pastors. I mean, let's be honest. Every pastor that I know has felt so inadequate to lead through this season. And so I don't know where you're facing inadequacy, but I bet you do. And I don't know where you might feel shame, but I know you face it. Because we all carry a degree of shame. Because we're broken, flawed people. And Moses felt that same thing. He's, what is he doing here? He's wrestling with shame. But here's something striking about God in this passage. Even though Moses asked the wrong question, I mean, the question Moses asked is, who am I, right? The much better question would have been, who are you? Yet even though Moses was asking the wrong question, God gave him the answer to the right question, right? Like Moses is like, but, but Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And look at how God responds. God responds and says, and God said, I will be with you. Here's a truth of which I've needed to be reminded again and again in my life. If you're ever going to accomplish things beyond your human ability and, and competency, the thing you need most is the presence of God. And so I, I just want you to think a little bit about what you're facing in your life right now. Where are you facing something that's beyond your capacity right now? Maybe you're experiencing loss and grief and it just feels overwhelming. Or maybe you're facing a parenting challenge. Or maybe you're experiencing a relational challenge. Or maybe you're facing an unshakable kind of fear. Or maybe you have habits and you want to get rid of them. You, want to stay, you just can't seem to break free. There's something that you don't want to keep doing, but you keep doing it. And you, or, you, know, you've, and you fear or maybe have resolved that you just don't have what it takes, that, that you may never be able to overcome this thing. Or maybe you're staring at some other challenge in your life. For me, the, the longer I, I walk with God, the more I'm aware of this very simple thing. If I'm ever going to accomplish things beyond my human ability and, and competency, the thing I most need is the presence of God. Like the presence of God has enabled me to, to break free from all kinds of destructive habits in my life that at a certain time I was like, I don't think I can ever get free from this. It's enabled me to understand things that I just couldn't understand. And I thought I'll never understand these things. It's enabled me to have a level of faith I never thought I could have. It's enabled me to help people I never thought I could help. It's enabled me to walk through uncertainty, like some stuff that I'm convinced would have absolutely crushed me. And the thing I, I most need is the presence of God. And, and this, is, this is the great lesson of, of Moses' life. He has an irrepressible need for the presence of God. And he so deeply internalizes it that for the rest of his life, he is willing to pay any price to get to the presence of God. Let me just like quickly run you through some highlights from the rest of Moses' life, just examples of his tenacity. Okay, Exodus, uh, now we're in 19. Exodus 19, there's a scene that 
I can't really even imagine. Moses is about to go up to Mount Sinai, right, to, to receive the, the Ten Commandments. And here's what happens just prior to that. Verse 18, it says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. At the sound, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So, so God calls Moses up the mountain, but like, think about how terrifying that was. There's smoke and fire, and the mountain is trembling. And the voice of God is calling to Moses, calling him up the mountain. Can you imagine what that would have been like, what that would have felt like? I don't know about you. I would have peed my pants. <laughs> right? I mean, there is no doubt that Moses was, was scared. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us Moses was terrified. And yet, Moses walked right on into that. He went up the mountain anyway. Why? Because the one irrepressible need of his life was God's presence. And so he trudges up the mountain, and he spends the next 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God. And at the end of those 40 days and nights, a terrible thing happens. At the base of the mountain, the people start to worry that Moses isn't coming back. So uh, his brother, Aaron, has them make what? Golden calf, right? And all the people because we got to worship something, they start worshiping the golden calf. And there's a scene that's just like unthinkable. So God comes to Moses with an offer. He says, hey Moses, you know what? I'm going to destroy these people and I'm going to start the nation over again with you. Notice how Moses responds. He, he starts to shift. Starts to shift quite a bit now. He says, he says to God, if you destroy all these people, what will the watching world think about you? That you're evil. That you delivered these people from Egypt only to destroy them in the wilderness. Like, if you do that, what will the world think about you? And you see the shift. In the beginning, it was, what about me? Who am I? I don't have what it takes. After 40 days and nights in the presence of God, Moses is now making it a whole lot more about God than himself. Then God says to Moses, all right, fine. I won't destroy these people. I'll send an angel with you to guide you, but I'm not going with you. You'll have to go on from here without me. But what, is, what has Moses learned? The one irrepressible need of his life is the presence of God. So he can't accept this. So Moses explains the situation to the people and with his leadership, they decide, no deal, God, we're not going to go on here without you, even with an angel. And so they go into mourning, right? They, they, they do like Israeli mourning. They, you know, tear their clothes and they do the whole deal and the whole nation goes into mourning and they send Moses to meet with God and to plead with them. And so Moses is like, God, we will not go up from here without you. We need your presence. We don't, we don't want the promised land if you're not there with us. We, we don't just want your blessings, God. We want you. And God says, okay, I'll go with you. Which is what God wanted all along, of course. Right? You, you guys do this with your children. You know you do. <laughs> and then after God agrees to remain present with Moses and the people, you think Moses will go, thanks. Whew, wasn't sure you were going to say yes to that. Good news. And kind of get out of there. That's not what he does. 
He's like, well, that's pretty good, but I, I, have, I have more. He takes it even further, and he says to God, all right, now, show me your glory. He's like, I want to experience as much of you as I can possibly handle. And God says, you bet. And God reveals to Moses all that he can handle. It's this amazing scene. And what we see is Moses, who once hid his face, being changed. The more he experiences the presence of God, the more emboldened he gets in that pursuit. And now, with his face up, he seeks God with all his might. And in Exodus 33, there's a phrase that appears about Moses. It's almost like an epitaph of his life. This is Exodus 33:11. It says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. I mean, notice the transition. He starts as one who hides his face, but after encountering the presence of God continually, he becomes a face-to-face friend with God. I love the perspective of Rob Reimer on all this. Um, He says, this is the, the power of the story of Moses. Moses was able to touch heaven and change earth because of the intimacy. He carried the presence into all his problems. He didn't carry simply his own capacity. He carried the presence. This is what made him such a different leader. And you guys, this, this season that we're in has been like one like no other. Um, it, it's been tough, like f- pastoral leadership. But here's what I'll tell you. There has also been incredible beauty in it, uh, like really good stuff. I, I've seen God do some amazing things in our church in this season of COVID, like amazing things. And while we haven't had that many like huge gatherings, obviously, there is, there is a growing depth in our church. People seeking God's face with more and more fervor and intensity. People learning to, to hear his invitations to them and then respond to them. And it's, for me, it's just been super encouraging, actually. And so coming out of COVID, I, I want to see our church experience the presence of God more and more and more. And, and I want to be a leader who carries spiritual authority. I, I want to be somebody who, who touches heaven and changes earth. And I want us to be a community of people who touch heaven and change earth. Now, maybe I'm like overly optimistic. I mean, you can boo me out of the room in your own mind. Here's what I think. I think COVID may be running its course. I'm not a scientist. These are rumors that are out there. And I think we may be returning to a world that's wide open pretty soon. And because of many seeds that have been planted in different people in our church in COVID, I get the sense that we will see life just springing up. I get the sense that God is on the move. It's not because I'm a fantastically gifted leader. You're like, yeah, you're not. I know. (laughs) It's not because Jen is a fantastically gifted leader. She is. (laughs) And it's not because, I mean, it won't be because Trevor's just incredibly sexy. And, and, and you are. But that is not what's going to get our church to the next level, right? 
this, this, this is going to come when we experience God's presence more deeply. Like, this is what it takes. We have to experience God's presence more deeply. When as individuals and as a community, we decide, like, the one irrepressible need of my life and our, and our life together in community is God's presence. And because I'm feeling more and more and more of this in my own soul, and because I am seeing it in you guys all over the place, I could not be more excited about this next season of ministry for our church. Now, many of you have had like burning bush moments recently, and God is getting your attention. And it's coming from so many different places in so many different ways, but it's personal to you. And he's getting your attention, and you are responding. And you're experiencing God's presence then in a fresh way. And I, by the way, I don't mean like a few of you. I mean like a lot of you. And so I am just so encouraged by what I'm, what I'm seeing all over the place. And so I was going to like finish this message and tell you several different stories of examples of this to illustrate it. Because I have, I have so many that come flooding to my mind. It's kind of ridiculous. I'm just going to tell you one. Uh, I have, I've made a new friend in COVID. And he goes to our church. And many of you have never met him. Um, I hope that that changes soon, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that it will. But God has brought him to our church, and selfishly for me, he's brought him into my life. Um, and God has used him to breathe life into me in this like, difficult, unique season. Because he's one of the most like, joy-filled, encouraging people that I know, that I've ever met in my life. He's, he's retired, and he's older than me by quite a few years, and most of our interaction has been through Zoom. But I'll tell you what, he is my friend. And this season has been ridiculously difficult on him. Um, now, COVID's hard for everybody. Can we just, like, COVID's hard for everybody, right? But can we agree that COVID is harder on some people than other people, depending on their circumstances? And, and, and so he's got kind of unique circumstances. I'll explain them in a second. But he never complains. Like, w- when I look at his sit- situation, I, I just ache. But he's, he's honest about what's hard. He's not hiding that. He's, he's sincere, and he talks about how he really feels. But, but it's not in a complaining sort of way. Do you guys know what I mean by that? You can be real without being a complainer. And his situation is, is unique. Here's what's, what's unique about it. He's had MS for years. But what's happening is in COVID is that he is... Uh, losing his, his functioning really rapidly, kind of all of a sudden. And he and his wife both have significant health issues, and so they've had to limit their COVID exposure for now, you know, a couple years. And that has meant a long list of things that they want to do but can't. And the really hard thing is, with his declining health, there's only so long that he'll be able to physically do certain things. And, and so this is the reality that he's, like, living within. But in this season, with, with more time on his hands and being retired and, and, you know, not able to go out and do a lot of the things that he'd like, he's got more time than he's really ever had in his life. 
And so you know what he does? You know what the highlight of his life is these days? He gets up crazy early every morning and he just spends time in God's presence. Like he just sits in silence or he prays or he watches the sunrise or he watches the birds or whatever it it is. He said his wife has to say, hey, she had to remind him, you can't text people at four in the morning. (laughs) He's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, but I'm just so alive. She's like, stop it. Reminds me of, there's a proverb about like, uh, even the, the, the most welcoming blessing is not taken as a blessing early in the morning or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> so he just, you know, he just gets up every morning, has this, and, and I don't really know all of what, he, what, what it entails, but every day for long stretches early in the morning, it's just time with God. Now, I will also say this is not my routine. I'm t- not telling you this should be your routine. I'm just saying this is an example of somebody in our church who is actively seeking the presence of God. And he just really looks forward to this. Like this is one of his great joys right now. And there are others, like his wife is a beautiful soul and he has her and they have each other and, and, and they're enjoying the golden years together and they had to work at their marriage really hard in the early years, things were tough, but now they have this, this beautiful bond. And so they spend time with their adult kids and their, their grandkids and they just, and just feel gratitude. So, so he has lots of beautiful things that bring him joy, but, but that time every morning with God for him is so special. Um, he, if, like he talks about it all the time, and he can hardly talk about it without smiling. Um, sometimes he tears up, chokes up a little bit. But I think back to what I said earlier. If you're ever going to accomplish things beyond your human ability and competency, the thing you most need is the presence of God. And so I think about my friend, isolated for the most part in COVID, body declining with MS. And you know what I see? I see a human being that is living beyond his capacity and competency because what he's enduring could and would easily level most people. But there is a radiance to him. There's a joy, this pervasive gratitude and and peace. And there there is strength in him. Like every time I'm with him, I'm touched by God. Like like he literally is, at least in my life. He's touching heaven and changing earth. And because he watches every sermon and often follows up with some kind of like encouraging email to me, I just want to say to my friend, hey, you know who you are. And I want to tell you, man, you have been a gift from God to me in this season. I don't think you will ever know what a gift you have been. So here's what I'm asking. Please keep basking in the presence of God. And please keep touching heaven and changing earth. You guys, in our church right now, there is so much that's going on beneath the surface, beneath the soil. Like if you, if you look at church services and how sparse they are on certain days, it's like, uh, don't be fooled. God is at work. God is, God is deeply at work. 
He still sends burning bushes that get our attention. He still is inviting us into his presence. And, and many of you are learning to set up camp with him. You're learning to live in his presence and you're touching heaven and changing earth. You guys, if COVID really has run its course, then we are about to begin a new chapter, a new season. And if COVID has been like winter, I just want to say like, try to feel this, like spring is coming. And the seeds of faith that you guys have been planting, they're about to get a bunch of sun and they're about to get a bunch of water. There's a lot of green about to come shooting through the soil around here. And I think that when we fully come together again and we're building each other up and we're working together to partner, to go, to touch heaven and, and change earth together, this, you guys, this place is going to be teeming with new life. It's coming. Father in heaven. I thank you for how gracious you are. And when I think about my own life and my own shame and inadequacy, and it's, it's big, it's huge. And yet again and again and again, as I have spent time in your presence, you have sort of removed the shame and the inadequacy and you've helped me to take my gaze off of myself and all that I'm not and put it onto you and all that you are. And you have enabled me to do things I never thought I could do. And God, I pray that, that for us as a church, more and more and more, you would make this the one irrepressible need of our lives to simply be in your presence and encounter you. Would you heal us? Would you strengthen us? Would you anoint us? And would you unify us together as a family on the other side of COVID to be able to go into our world and do stuff that brings heaven to earth? God, we need you. Meet us. Amen.